The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? We back, and it's good to be back. So let's get into it. I'm ready. Yeah, man, we're taking this 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 bi-weekly approach, it seems lately, but that's not really been the intent, but seems that's the way it's been working out. So we're just rocking until the wheels fall off. But uh, we'll start with letting everybody know that Know the Score is a part of the CSPN. You can find us on the web at cspn.us. You can also find Know the Score on all podcasting platforms, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and also YouTube. So we're going to start in the NFL. And this week, I'm going to do a little something a little different because I have some pressing questions to ask you, Dwayne. So we're going to start right at the top of the NFL. Did the Baltimore Ravens expose the Patriots defense after rushing for 210 yards in their 37 to 20 win? I think they did. I think they, because we look at the Patriots and we look at who they played originally. They have played... Virtually nobody. So they played some stiffer competitions go around in terms of the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson and the Ravens running game really picked the Patriots defense apart. If you're looking for ways to solve the Patriots, and you know, I know everybody's got different schemes, different on offense, things of that sort. Uh, definitely look at this tape of the Ravens. Uh, definitely has a lot of keys on how they can expose this uh, defense. And I know we saw a lot of uh, a lot of the people in the moment, prisoners of the moment, of course, saying this is like the best defense ever, blah, 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 blah. But I think the Ravens did a good job. And this has been a real good season for Baltimore. Great job by John Harbaugh in adapting his scheme to tailor to Lamar Jackson's needs. The results have been paying off. We'll see if this uh, occurs going forward. I know you said that this tape could maybe help a lot of other teams, but the thing that you said last is where I kind of take pause is because there's not any other team really running a full-on college offense like Baltimore currently is running. And I think I've been one of these people for almost – 20 years now that's been like at least the last 15 like okay 
when is this style of football going to come to the NFL, like, full-time? Because if you look at high school, it's in high school. If you look at college, it's in college. You know what I'm saying? Middle school, it's in middle school. So it's like the NFL is the only outlier in how football is being played. And I thought that Sunday night was kind of maybe the litmus test because we've seen Washington and San Francisco kind of use elements, but also try to like mix in their traditional offense too. It was kind of like a wrinkle to their traditional offense, but we've never seen anybody just dedicate themselves to this. All right. So, yeah. So basically I would say in the counter to that, is that the college-style offenses have certain elements that that do work, but the the pros are a lot quicker, a lot faster, a lot stronger, and when they do adapt and figure out the college schemes, they end up not working. So I think that's why they they, they get successful for a certain period of time uh, take the Wildcat, for instance. Uh, maybe it's a little uh, different, you know, spread everybody out. Everybody was using it, and then it faded pretty quickly. Uh, you know, I think what Washington and San Francisco are doing, and I think they're doing it well, are they are using wrinkles of and certain elements of the college-style offense, but keeping it traditional because of the – strength and speed of the opposing defenses. So if those opposing defenses end up adapting, they will then end up catching on and you got to go back to the drawing board and things like that. This is the biggest misnomer, though, about the quarterback. Everybody's so afraid of running their quarterback. It's not – it's actually, if you use numbers in like a chessboard – it's actually smarter to run your quarterback because there's everybody accounted for when you run your quarterback, actually. So if you make it happen, you can actually design the lane to where he's supposed to run right out of bounds if you want to run your quarterback. Secondly, most running quarterbacks that have come in the league, Kaepernick, RG3, of those sorts, their problem isn't running per se. They don't they hardly ever get hurt out of the pocket. It's in the pocket that they're really susceptible because, you know, if they have difficulty reading defenses or getting the ball out of their hand, they take some big shots. But I wouldn't worry about Lamar Jackson getting hurt running if I was Jim Harbaugh, and clearly they don't. They, they've seen, you know, through seven, eight games or whatever, they've ran them over 100 times in the season, and he's still upright, and he hasn't taken any big hits or anything like that. So, you know, I, I – to to me, I just feel like you set back a guy with a lot of potential and promise if you don't do what a Harbaugh did in this situation where he said, forget using some of it where like 15% of the time you're the player we saw in college and, and in the tapes and the films. Well, let's how about we use it all of the time and we'll figure out how to you, you know, and you'll do what you do, and we'll get everybody else up to speed to you. And it seems like it's working for the Ravens. They're doing little things untraditional with the three tight end look. 
and they serve as the way that they can keep that package on the field for the whole game, basically. And they can do whatever they want to do out of it. They can go four wide. They can go two tight ends, fullback, you know, so they have a lot of variations that they can run out of having those three talented tight ends. And uh, they put a number on New England, especially in the first half of that first quarter. That was really impressive. Yes, very much so. I agree with that. Next up, is it time that we take the Raiders seriously? After their 31-24 win over the Lions, the Raiders' next game is against the Chargers. Uh, Chargers, uh, we'll talk about them next and, uh, you know, what they did last week. But let's let's focus on the Raiders. Um, They're 4-4. They seem to recover after the Antonio Brown preseason uh, fiasco. It looks like they found a talented running back here in Josh Jacobs that Gruden, you know, we're always, you know, the original pounder rock guy, John Gruden. Uh, Derek Carr looks like he is, uh, you know, excelling in his second full year under John Gruden in this offense. Don't hear nearly as much chatter about him this year. And they've had a young star emerge as a pass catcher and Waller that they just uh, re-signed to a nice deal. So are the Raiders maybe a year ahead of schedule? Uh, and should we take them seriously after they be uh, a team that everybody, you know, fear, you know, Things should have a better record than they do in the Detroit Lions. I would say it is kind of time to look towards the Raiders and taking them seriously. I would say that they're a team that's definitely gelling uh, very well. And uh, Derek Carr is back to the Derek Carr that uh, Raiders fans were, were so were kind of take the league by storm. And they got Josh Jacobs, who's been a great running back. I definitely agree with that as well. Concern, I would say, I would say the biggest concern, I would say, is, are their outside receivers? I would say they're tight end. Tight end is real dynamic. Uh, Waller, I want to say. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, so I definitely say that he's he's been a great story. Um uh, Darren Walker has been a great story this season. Uh, you know, but they're being the leading receiver. And and I think this game against the Chargers will definitely solidify uh, the Raiders as a team that we definitely have to take. Seriously. I know it's been a black hole uh, out there for the last few years. Uh Kind of question the whole madness of trading a Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper, but it looks like the return of the sacrifices starting to pay off, especially as they get ready to make this move uh, east to to uh, Las Vegas. And you know, there's a uh, process, and then. And it looks like this process is being embraced, especially as they are in mid-transition from one city to another. So We'll move on to those aforementioned Chargers. But my question is going to be the reverse. After they dominated the Packers 26-11, to should the Packers fans be concerned? Well, not really. I think that it, every... 
every team has a rough patch. I mean, even though the Packers were handed a bonus home game in Los Angeles and could not live up to task, uh, this is definitely not something I would be concerned about at the moment. However, if Kyle Allen and the Panthers do end up being successful winning at Lambeau, then we can start raising an eyebrow uh, towards Matt LaFleur and what they need to do to get back on track. Speaking of getting back on track, who was to blame for the woes in Chicago? Quarterback Mitch Trubisky or head coach Matt Nagy? It's a little bit of blame on both ends. Uh, Trubisky has been pretty fragile in terms of the mindset. Uh, I would say he probably has not got over being booed in terms of being drafted number two, and then he hasn't been really well-received in Chicago, and then the play has not really reflected um, any reason why they should these fans should not boo him. Uh, he's been erratic. He's been off. I would say, you know, aside from Allen Robinson and maybe Taylor Gabriel, you really don't have many guys to throw to. Um, Terry Cohen's talent's kind of being wasted, and then uh, you got to put some blame on Matt Nagy because you have a pretty good, solid backup at Chase Daniel. You see that uh, Trubisky is not really playing well. And then, you know, he, this guy's getting ether left and right, and his play is showing why he deservedly so should be ethered, but, you know, you have a solid backup. You know, it's maybe time to hand the rings over to the backup and then try to see what you can do to upgrade that position uh, going forward. I think that Matt Nagy has has been a, a decent coach. I definitely like what he has done for the Bears, but... You definitely use an upgrade of talent at that quarterback position, uh, whether it's a trade, free agency, or the draft. Could one of those quarterbacking options be Cameron Newton? Do you think he's played his last game as a quarterback of the Carolina Panthers after he was put on the season-ending IR with that nagging foot injury? This is very, very, very... Near and dear, and this is very tough for me to say. Um, do I think he's played his last game for Carolina? Yes. Do I hope he's played for his last game for Carolina? Uh, no. But in the grand scheme of things, and I want to try to take my blue and black blinders off here. In the grand scheme of things, you know, you cut him – you save $19 million because he's got a $21 million uh, cap hit. Um, so if you cut him, you save save a lot of money. And, of course, with uh, Christian McCaffrey's big extension possibly most likely coming, and this is definitely 
a move that can be made for the future. Uh, the, the thing that I have reservations about is that, you know, nagging injuries that have affected uh, quarterbacks in the past from what I've seen, most notably uh, Carson Palmer uh, when he left, basically he was left, left for – Left for dead in a, in a certain, uh, so to speak, uh, when he went to the Raiders, he revived, ended up reviving his career uh, late. And if Cam is able to fully heal from this uh, nagging foot injury, and the uh, Liz Frank injury is very, very hard. It's one of the most difficult injuries to heal fully from. You know, the fear that I have is seeing, seeing um, flourish another um, on another team, but in the nature of the business, you know, things have to be done. Tough decisions have to have to be made. You know, we don't know what the Panthers will do here. Uh, they've done everything in 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 their power and the right thing at handling the injury, and I think that um, you know, Cam finally was. Cam finally listened to his body, and I think it's been a struggle for him. His whole uh, thing, I think the Superman monitor, he has to go out and compete, you know, even when you're not fully healthy. And he actually needed to sit for once. And um, But the off- offense has been in great hands with Kyle Allen. He's done. Uh, he's improving week by week. And... And uh, he's playing within the confines of North Turner's scheme. Christian McCaffrey's playing uh, out of his mind. So there's definitely a lot going on in Carolina. I think that Cam has probably played his last game. I hope it's not the case, but I definitely think it is. Between the one-win teams of the Washington football team variety, the Miami Dolphins, it's one team with two wins. New York Jets and the lowly Cincinnati Bengals who have yet to have they won a game? I don't think so. They have not won a game. Yeah, I don't remember them beating anybody. Who has the inside track for the number one pick in the upcoming NFL draft? Well, you have the so yeah, so Bengals are one eight, Falcons one and seven, Jets one and seven. Yes. Uh, Jets one and seven, Dolphins one and seven, Giants two and seven, Bucks two and six. I would probably say, well, AJ Green's coming back for the Bengals. That could possibly help. Well, they're changing quarterbacks though. They're going to the rookie. That's yes, which can be a bad thing. So, um, and of course the. Uh, first team they're playing under the Ravens and that's not going to be a win so um, I would say the Falcons they play ooh, they play the Saints on Sunday that's not going to be good either um, I would say it's going to come down to the Bengals Falcons and Dolphins and then out of those three I think the Falcons will find a way to close out the season with nothing to play for uh, the Dolphins May get another win against Jets. And then 
Is it bad to say I can't see the Bengals winning any games here? So you think Dwayne Haskins is going to come out and win like three games? He's going to win more than this Bengals rookie because look at the, the – okay, so the here's, here's how the Bengals schedule looks. They got Baltimore at home, at Oakland, Pittsburgh at home. That Pittsburgh Jets, game could be winnable. Could be. Steelers have been playing – They've been keep staying afloat somehow. Uh, the this could be the pillow fight of the week of the season. They play the Jets. Uh, they play the Jets in four weeks at Cleveland. They play the Patriots at home. Another pillow fight with the Dolphins. Uh, so and then they close out versus Cleveland. Um, they could get three. Could, they could possibly get three. Uh, let's look at let's look at Washington real quick as well. So if we look at Washington, they played the Jets off the bye week. Yeah, they got the Jets off the bye. Uh, they got Detroit at Carolina at Green Bay, and then the NFC East tour: Philadelphia Giants and at Dallas to close out. Now, I didn't hear too many winnable games <laughs> that ran down. <laughs> the Jets is probably the most winnable game here. So we say two. So, okay, so let's just say Washington's in the pole position for right now, right, for the number one pick. Okay, so Atlanta. And now I'm going to – yeah, so Atlanta at New Orleans, at Carolina, Tampa Bay. That's that can win a game play, right there. They play New Orleans again. At they play Carolina again. Then they're at San Francisco. Then they got Jacksonville, and they close out at Tampa. They got three games they could possibly win: two against okay. Tampa, one against Jacksonville. Okay, so that's a total of four. Uh, and then who else we got? The Dolphins mm-hmm. at one and seven. So the Dolphins. At Indianapolis, they got Buffalo, at Cleveland, Philadelphia, at the Jets, at the Giants, and back-to-back weeks, so they stay at MetLife, basically. Um, They got Cincinnati, and then they're at New England to end the season. If they stay with Fitzpatrick, they got a chance to win, like, three games, too. Okay, so but we'll know that they're they're all in for the tank if they if Fitzpatrick's doing good and then they go back to Rosen. Yeah. I would say out of these and I'm not even gonna Oh yeah, well, let's do we do the Jets? Let's just do the Jets one for Okay, so the Jets have the Giants in the Battle of New York at Washington they got the Raiders, then at Cincinnati, home against Miami, at Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and then at Buffalo. That's uh, like two games, maybe. So it's down to Washington and the Jets. So the loser of that game would have probably had the inside track towards the number one pick. So here's my perfect scenario for Sunday, right? Yes. Shootout. Dwayne Haskins looks brilliant. Terry McLaurin, three touchdowns, 150 yards uh, receiving. Dwayne Haskins, like, four touchdowns overall for the game, maybe an interception. Decent um, completion percentage. And then uh, whoever New York Jets kicker is wins it at the buzzer. Uh, 
on the field goal. And then Washington gets to see the soundtrack to the number one pick. Mm-hmm. Because then what can happen is the more times Dwayne Haskins shows he can play, then we can draft Chase Young. Ohio State's three for three in the last five years. Well, three out of the last four years, I think. Yeah. Two Bosa brothers. Bosa brothers. And, uh, and then if this kid right here comes in, which I think he'll hit big too, that's, you know – Hey, they're doing something right, and I want to get a part of that. There you go. And my final question for the NFL. Has Christian McCaffrey become the best running back in the NFL? And this is a two-parter. And can he wrestle the MVP away from Russell Wilson? Yes and yes. Uh, Yes, Russell Wilson had a phenomenal game, a comeback win, I guess. The uh, Buccaneers. Yes, Russell Wilson been playing very, very well. I think that was like his third game this year with five touchdowns. Yes, and that's pretty remarkable. What Christian McCaffrey's doing though, he's on pace for almost twenty five hundred scrimmage yards and twenty six touchdowns. And. I think we focus so much on the quarterback nowadays that we automatically say, hey, the MVP is a quarterback award. But let's kind of just pump the brakes and look at the numbers. Uh, without, without Cam, Christian McCaffrey has really emerged as the face of this team. And... He's changing the identity of the team because now it's always been like Luke Keekley has always been the kind of like mainstay, you know, the stalwart go-to guy. Everybody talks about Luke Keekley. He's the most consistent player. You don't have to worry about him from week to week, so he always gets the top billing. But now that's slowly becoming Christian McCaffrey. Right. And then on top of that, you know, if something does happen, to McCaffrey. I really think that guts the Panthers. And that's why I would probably put him above Russell Wilson in the MVP conversation. All right. All right. So those were some pressing questions I had about the NFL. Now it's time to turn over to the MLB. We had the conclusion of the World Series. Congratulations <laughs> to the Washington Nationals in the wildest World Series that anybody's ever seen where a home team did not win a single game. It's just tremendous ebb and flows after the days off. And something that you never have seen in any of the major sports at all. So, my first pressing question about the World Series. After winning the MVP of the World Series, has Steven Strasburg finally fulfilled his promise? Absolutely. I mean, we had, he had all the hype and the fanfare. When he came into the when he came into the league, it took some time. Uh, he took some time. It took some 
He had some injury issues, but he has really fully emerged into what was said about him for many, many years. And to culminate that with the World Series MVP, we could definitely say he's fulfilled that prom- that promise that we saw many moons ago. Next question I have. If the Nationals only have money enough for one of these free agents, who should they re-sign? The aforementioned Steven Strasburg or Anthony Rendon? I would say uh, it's a tough call. You know, I would say probably you would want to make Rendon a more of a priority only because you have a young superstar already in Juan Soto. And if you have, if you pretty much put the harder order uh, with uh, Soto, Rendon, and Ryan Zimmerman, that's a very, that's a pretty good lineup, a pretty formidable lineup to face in the heart of the order. So I would probably say make Rendon more priority. He's he's earned it just as much as Strasburg has, if not more. And final question pertaining to the Nationals and their World Series win. Is Juan Soto the next face of baseball? Yes, he is. Um, I would say he would definitely be the next face of baseball, maybe even the Probably joining Mike Trout. I still think Mike Trout is probably the best player in baseball, but uh, Juan Soto is coming up, and he's coming up pretty fast. So um, there are many other young guns out, young guys out there who are who are also can be considered faces of the front of baseball, and. You know, Aaron Judge, uh, Pete Alonzo uh, in the bigger New York market. And, of course, you know, you can't forget about Bryce Harper as well. So this is another score. I'm your host, Don DeLaRente. I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon. And next up, Dwayne, I have some pressing questions about college football. Who comes out on top this Saturday between LSU and Alabama? Big game, Tuscaloosa, two versus three. And I would definitely, I definitely would love, you know, convention would say go with the home team here when you have a toss-up with... Alabama pretty much um, taking it. But something about this LSU Tigers team just says there's something different in the air, something different in Baton Rouge, something different about this team. And I think they can actually pull this win off and may have the inside track towards the SEC West. And possibly an inside track towards a title game. So I'm going to go with LSU winning on the road 
in Tuscaloosa over Alabama. Next question. Does the winning quarterback of this LSU-Alabama game also take home the Heisman at the end of the season? Not necessarily. Uh, they're uh, my, still my pick for the Heisman. I'm going to still continue to go with this pick. I'm going to stick with Jalen Hurts. And, you know, I think the winner, the, the winning quarterback, will boost their chances. But I don't think they – I think somebody else wins the Heisman. I, I, I do. Do you feel that Clemson is the fifth best team in the country after the uh, college football playoff rankings came out and they were ranked behind Penn State? I think they are right where they need to be. I think that I think that the committee did pick the four best teams. Ohio State has been playing exceptionally well this season. And, of course, like I said, there's so special about this LSU team this year. Alabama's Alabama. And Penn State's been playing uh, extremely well also. So uh, Clemson's had too many close – they've had more close calls than anybody this season uh, amongst the top teams. And so they are rightfully placed where they are. At least they're at number five. It could have been. All right. I'm going to give you a second to look up the University of Minnesota's football schedule, okay? And then the question I'm going to ask you is, how much confidence do you have in an undefeated Minnesota squad running the table? All right. Let's take a look and see. Let's see. Minnesota running the table. Well, they got. <laughs> I don't see them running this table, if I'm going to be honest. And here's why Penn State at home, at Iowa, they'll get a win against Northwestern, and then they close out against Wisconsin. Don't they play Ohio State in there somewhere, too? Or is it just Penn State? Okay. If they do end up undefeated, they might end up being like number three in the country. Yes. That, and they would be in the playoff. Yes. I will say, but Penn State does play Ohio State in two weeks. So, wouldn't Minnesota have to play Ohio State in the championship? Do they have a championship? Do they have a championship? They do. So, that's when they would get a chance to play Ohio State. Right. And then if they won that game, they would be number one in the country. Right. And I and and then even then that's And then they'd still the be like everybody would be betting against them in the playoff. <laughs> right. And then and but with Ohio State and Penn State facing off in two weeks, that was most likely for the Big Ten East title too. LSU and Alabama is kind of an elimination game, but since both teams are undefeated, not really. This is one team the loser won't be able to go to the championship unless something, you know, real off the rails happens. But, yeah, that Ohio State-Penn State game, though, in a couple of weeks is definitely one of them teams is getting bounced. Right. All right. And if Penn State loses to Minnesota, 
they would definitely need to beat Ohio State to have any hopes and dreams. Final pressing college football uh, pressing question. With Oregon just outside of the top five, is this the year a Pac-12 team makes it into the college football playoffs? Let's take a look at Oregon because it's a possibility that it can happen. Um, but it seems like as as close as the pack as a Pac-12 team gets to this to this point, they always have a stumbling block, and Oregon has a shot. They play Arizona at home. They're at Arizona State, and that could be a trip up right there. And then, of course, the rivalry game with Oregon at home, and rivalry games have can go any way possible. But their only loss is to Auburn at this point. But I do see I see two wins. Oregon has a shot. If we won, if we really, and if they win the Pac-12 title game against the South leader, which is Utah, who's right there at number eight. So, if they're if Utah ends up running the table uh, in their final few games, because they got UCLA at Arizona, and then they face Colorado, that Pac-12 title game could be an elimination game as well. Unless, of course, chaos happens. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, towards the end of the year, we always root for what? Chaos. Chaos. Right. Make it hard for the committee. We're going to have some NBA pressing questions to finish out this week's episode. After Steph Curry was added to the list of Warriors who will miss significant time with a broken hand, should they tank? For the number one pick, uh, tanking in the NBA is different from tanking in the NFL and other and Major League Baseball because if you decide to tank, there's not a guarantee you're going to get a number one pick, and because you're not going to get that guarantee of the number one pick, sometimes it's kind of like, what do we tank for? And take a prime example, the Charlotte Bobcats at the time, 759, worst record in NBA history in terms of percentage. And they still got the number two pick. Now, yes, the lottery odds are going to be evened out. And so they all have a chance to get the same pick. However, it's definitely not conducive to tankies over the Warriors. I think they should just play their best. You know, I mean, they got most of their guys from Santa Cruz anyway right now, so um, just do what they can. If they lose, they lose, but, you know, definitely just try try to win as many games as you can in these months that stuff is out. At season's end, who will be the Kings of LA? The Lakers or the Clippers? Right now, uh, right now it's the Lakers because Kawhi Leonard does doesn't want to maintain his load. So, um, 
would definitely say that the Lakers, LeBron has been playing out his mind. Anthony Davis has been playing out his mind. The pieces around these guys are playing very well. And so I definitely think that there is a potential for a, a lot of uh, meaningful games in the upcoming future between the two. Because I want you to expand on this. After okay. having four days off, should the Clippers have rested Kawhi against the Milwaukee Bucks coming into Los Angeles? This wasn't even a road game. They should. Kawhi should have played, and the Clippers should. They should not have done that. Especially, this is the Bucks only, only visit. You had a marquee matchup with uh, Kawhi and Giannis. It would have been a great matchup, very entertaining, and this happened. So, I really have nothing after that point. So, um, that's all I got. Um, how do you feel about load management in general? Do you are you for it? Are you against it? Is it you know something that should maybe be done later in the season than kind of in the middle of the season or the beginning of the season? In this case, with Kawhi, I think it should be done. I mean, if you have certain situations and yeah, you go you go abide by those. Uh, certain situations. Um, however, at the same time, but I would probably, me personally, I'm not a fan of it because, you know, what about, what about everybody that's played a full season or plays 80 Oh, 82 games, or it's one of those things where I'm just really not a fan of it. You got 82 games. If you're available for all 82, play all 82. If you want to. Uh, I'll ask you another question. I'll we'll double down on it. If okay. load management is a thing, is it necessary for guys to miss complete games? How come he couldn't have played? Two and a half quarters. I would say that's just within the confines of the rotation. I mean, that's what that's what the the chips in the jerseys are for to kind of see how much activity you have been operating under, and then strategizing how to how to maintain your health and our quote unquote loads and things of that sort. Um, So if they're using the analytics and the technology from these tracking chips correctly, then they would have a better idea. And if they don't have a system that's in place, then my question to them is... All right. And my final pressing question, who will be the beast of the East when it's all said and done? The Celtics, the Sixers, or the Bucks? Uh, Sixers. Uh, I think the Sixers have a deep squad. They are 
very talented, especially up front. Um, they definitely have the X factor in Al Horford, who is a former Celtic, and he definitely can lead that way for for the Lakers. I mean, not Lakers, Sixers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Uh, I should have known better. Al Horford is a Sixer, not a Laker. All right, my apologies. Yeah, I, you I still think... hurt. He's not a Celtic, aren't you? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, either way, a he lot went of to. It. Mm-hmm. Yes, either way, he went to a arch nemesis. So there is that. Well, I think it was very strategic maneuvering by Elton Brand because it's the one person in the Eastern Conference who has proven that he can guard Joel Embiid in a series of games. So if you have that guy on your team, that's one less obstacle to stop you from getting to the championship. Yeah. <laughs> so Dwayne, at this time, I'm going to turn it over to you for your shout outs and final thoughts. All right. Uh, shout outs to you, Don. Glad to be back in the saddle with you doing the KTS. So it's good to be back on the airwaves here in this regard. Uh, shout out to family, friends, um, everybody. And, and my final thought as uh, Liverpool, they are going to be fielding two different squads. They, in December, is usually like the toughest time to schedule games because there's so many uh, fixtures uh, in a little bit amount of time. So they're supposed to be, Liverpool's supposed to be in the Club World Cup on December 18th in Cater. But they also have a game the day before, 4,000 miles away in Birmingham, England, against Aston Villa in the League Cup. So what's going to happen is Liverpool's going to have a split squad. Uh, half of the team is going to go to the Club World Cup, and the other half will go to Birmingham to play the League Cup round. And they might have to take some young guys from the academy. So you might see saying some under-21s and under-18 kids playing in a major competition. So wild times for the Premier League leaders and the reigning uh, Champions League um, title holders. So we'll see what happens in that regard. And how they can move forward in both those tournaments. Also, be sure to catch Heel Heat on the CSPN. That is our new uh, retrospective wrestling podcast with me as the host, with uh, my best friend, Sean Shaolin Shogun MA. Yes, please check out the Heel Heat podcast, wrestling fans and fans of the WrestleCast. Definitely worth a good listen. Uh, episode two will be dropping here shortly. And uh, what do you guys plan to talk about? Give a little sneak preview. Okay, so uh, in the in this episode, uh, we're probably going to look more into the the um, introspective look of of a legendary wrestler. So uh, whether it's HBK or the Undertaker, stay tuned. We shall reveal. Um, we shall reveal that very very soon. So. Uh, definitely going to get with Sean just to make sure that is the episode. Uh, we might go into some storylines, but we're definitely going to 
recap our previous podcast, the premiere with the WrestleMania 30 and how we would have booked it going forward. So that's one thing we definitely want to uh, put on there is how we would book things in the following episode after the main after the main topics. All right. I'd like to give a shout out to Dwayne for joining me here once again on Know the Score to all the listeners and everybody out there who supports the CSPN. Please continue to support our sponsors by using our website, CSPN.us. Click on the tab that says keep our podcast free. Do some shopping. Christmas is coming. So get a jump start on those things by using Amazon.com and also supporting CSPN.us in the process. All you have to do is go through CSPN to get to Amazon, do your shopping as you normally would, and some of your purchase comes back to the CSPN to help keep Know the Score and all of our podcasts free for you each and every week. So please support the CSPN and do some shopping on Amazon at the same time. My final thought is going to consist of, yeah, I think we can believe the hype. Cole Anthony came in with a lot of buzz. I'm one of these guys who does not follow recruiting when it comes to college basketball or college football, for that matter. Um, I see guys and I hear about guys and names and what their the numbers are next to their uh, recruiting standard as far as ESPN 100 and blah, 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 who shows up and all the all-star games, but I don't believe any of it until I see them put on a college uniform and play some real competition. And based on the creation of the ACC network and ACC basketball going to 20 games as each team is going to get a round robin. So uh, there'll be home and homes for everybody this year for the first time since I think 1990, 1998, I think. Yeah. When they started the yeah, so uh, it's going to be real fun for that. I'm glad to hear that, too. I think they saw the Big 12 and finally was like, yeah, we need this. Yeah. But uh, Cole Anthony, he is the truth. 34 points in his debut against Notre Dame in an ACC conference game. as the first game, official game out of the gate after their one exhibition game last Friday. Uh, he basically took over the team. Uh in the second half, uh, shot a great percentage. He was 6 of 11 from three-point land. He was 12 from 24 overall. Uh, he also had uh, six assists or five assists. Then he almost had – I think he had a double-double. I think he had like 10 or 11 rebounds. So just a very impressive debut for the freshman. He definitely had the Dean Smith Center rocking uh, last night in his debut as a North Carolina Tar Heel. Uh, we've only got about – Hopefully, we got about 43 games with him. That means that Carolina would win it all. But uh, it would, go ahead and enjoy him now if you're a Carolina Tar Heel fan because uh, next year he'll definitely be wearing an NBA uh, jersey and uh, he'll be have moved on. But I think it's going to be a very exciting year this year in Chapel Hill. And if all things fall right, I could be dancing on Franklin Street the first Monday night in April. So for my co-host, the Libra Icon, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.